Praise the Lord and welcome to our weekly 30-minute podcast, The Elephant in the Room with Bishop Michael Bellamy. Our podcast will cover various topics that are often overlooked, misunderstood, or even controversial from a biblical perspective. We are blessed to have a team of wonderful producers who want to make each episode something that will be enjoyable and informative. During this episode, we will discuss the topic of grief, its various forms, and how it presents in those forms in those who are grieving. We'll also review the book of Job to examine Job's experience with grief through his many losses. Today's podcast was produced by Lady Satoya Clanton. It was edited by Lady Clanton and Sister Tynika Harris Coronado. I'll be right back with today's episode. According to Dictionary.com, grief is keen mental suffering or distress over affliction or loss, sharp sorrow, painful regret. In her article titled, The Stages of Grief, What Do You Need to Know?, Kimberly Holland wrote, grief is universal. At some point, everyone will have at least one encounter with grief. No matter how it comes, grief is an overwhelming emotion that can consume a person with feelings that they may have never felt or expressed previously. These feelings are not something to take lightly. In so many cases, people tend to trivialize the feelings that come with grief, thinking that they can be brushed over or aside as everyday emotions. But we must take care to respect what grief is and how it affects each individual, especially in the church. With this in mind, we must remember that not everyone processes grief the same way, and not everyone is on an accelerated timeline when working through their emotions. So what is the elephant in the room, you ask? Here it is. In knowing the power of the Holy Ghost as our comforter, we sometimes tend to forget that we are all operating in natural, fleshly bodies that feel the breath of our God-given feelings and emotions. In forgetting that we are indeed human beings, we inadvertently open the door for us to actually harm ourselves our brothers and sisters who are experiencing grief in various stages through our words and actions by not giving them the space and the grace to process their feelings properly. Let's talk about the stages of grief. What are those stages? Grief generally presents itself in five stages according to the Kubler-Ross model, a theory postulated by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, a Swiss-American psychiatrist, in her 1969 book titled On Death and Dying, 
as described by Kimberly Holland in her article, The Stages of Grief, What Do You Need to Know? The stages are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. When a person is in the denial stage, they deny the event that triggers grief. They are looking to bide more time to more gradually absorb the news and begin to process it, which helps numb you to the intensity of the situation. For example, one may deny the fact that a loved one has truly died, thinking that the doctor may have gotten the diagnosis wrong. In the anger stage, the person experiencing grief is often trying to hide their true emotions, with anger being one of the easiest forms to express. During the bargaining stage, the griever looks for ways to regain control or to want to feel like they can affect the outcome of an event. Bargaining is a line of defense against the emotions of grief. It helps you postpone the sadness, confusion, or hurt. During the depression stage, the griever may be able to embrace and work through them in a more healthful manner. They may also choose to isolate themselves from others in order to fully cope with the loss. Holland writes that at acceptance, the final stage of grief, acceptance is not necessarily a happy or uplifting stage of grief. It doesn't mean you've moved past the grief or loss. It does, however, mean that you've accepted it and have come to understand what it means in life now. According to Holland, another grief model identified seven stages of grief which have similarity to those identified by Kubler-Ross. Shock and denial, pain and guilt, anger and bargaining, depression, the upward turn, reconstruction and working through, and acceptance and hope. During the stage of shock and denial, the griever experience a state of disbelief and numbed feelings. During the stage of pain and guilt, the person may feel that the loss is unbearable and that you're making other people's lives harder because of your feelings and need. At the anger and bargaining stage, one may lash out telling God or a higher power that you'll do anything they ask if they'll only grant you relief from these feelings or this situation. During the depression stage, a person may go into a period of isolation and loneliness, which they process and reflect on the loss. The upward turn stage is as it is named, during this stage in which the griever comes to a point where after the initial emotions have subsided, they are left in a more calm and relaxed state.
at the reconstruction and working through, the griever starts putting pieces of their life back together and they move forward. At the point of acceptance and hope, one has a very gradual acceptance of the new way of life and a feeling of possibility for the future. You may be wondering about these stages of grief, but you did know that there are different types of grief a person can go through. In her article titled 16 Different Types of Grief People Experience, Liz Kelly described the various ways grief can present themselves, writing, understanding the differences is key to being able to move through the grief process in a healthy way. Normal grief is the type of grief that most everyone experiences. And it can manifest in physical, behavioral, emotional, or social expressions. Physical signs of this grief can present through anxiety attacks, crying spells, lethargy, or chest pains. Behavioral signs may include forgetfulness and confusion at times, and even dreaming of the person you've lost. Emotional signs of grief include expressing anger, numbness, shock, and even relief and apathy. Social signs of normal grief may include being unusually dependent on other people, avoiding family, colleagues, and friends, and neglecting yourself but caring for others. Anticipatory grief happens when you start the grieving process prior to a loss, such as that of a loved one in a hospice or a pending layoff from a job. Complicated grief happens when the grieving process does not move all the way through the steps of grief. This type of grief can be prolonged and much more intense. And it'll typically have a significant impact on your ability to function. This type of grief requires the expertise of a mental health professional, such as a grief counselor or therapist. Chronic grief results when extremely intense reactions to loss do not Subside. This type of grief can stop a person from processing positively in their life as they grieve with the emotions of grief consuming the person with how overwhelming they are. Delayed grief happens when a person is experiencing incredibly stark feelings of sorrow and longing if the loved one's death occurred a very long time ago. In this type of grief, a person doesn't experience the emotional reaction that should have occurred after the triggering event. Distorted grief is a very intense or extreme reaction to a loss, which can include the feelings of anger, and the griever lashes out at those around them. Cumulative grief is also known as grief overload or bereavement overload. 
Because this type of grief happens when you experience a second loss shortly after or while you're still processing grief from a previous loss. Exaggerated grief involves emotions and actions that may become more noticeable and disruptive. One might experience self-destructive behavior, nightmares, thoughts of suicide or self-harm, drug or other substance abuse, or even abnormal fears. Because this type of grief includes more intense types of reactions than what you typically see in other types of grief. Secondary loss happens when a loss affects several areas of your life, like a domino effect. The griever experiences multiple losses that stem from the original loss. Mask grief can be subtle in that the griever doesn't recognize the signs and symptoms of grief that tend to impair or hinder normal functioning in life. Disenfranchised grief happens when the person grieving doesn't feel that their loss isn't validated by others, particularly from a cultural or societal perspective. Kelly elaborated, any time a loss isn't recognized or you don't feel seen or heard in how you're feeling and grieving, the result may be disenfranchised grief. For example, one may experience this type of grief when they lose a loved one to suicide or drug overdose, and those around them discount their feelings because of the cause of the loss. Traumatic grief is a common result of trying to process grief when there is added trauma that comes from a horrifying, unexpected loss or violent death. This type of grief can be triggered by losses stemming from major car accidents, gun violence, and even combat. It's also associated with forms of post-traumatic stress disorder or PTSD. Collective grief affects an entire community or large group. We see this type of grief most often after mass shootings or foreign and domestic terrorism attacks. Inhibited grief happens when the griever doesn't show any obvious or outward forms of grief and can bring on physical manifestations of grief because of the delayed acknowledgement of the grief process. Abbreviated grief occurs when the person who passes away is replaced after a short time with someone or something new in your life. One such example is when a person remarries three months after the loss of a spouse when they were wed for over 20 years. Absent grief usually happens when the griever isn't showing any of the typical signs of grief, sometimes due to 
complete shock, or total denial. Most often, it's seen in a lot of cases where a loss is sudden or unexpected. In her article, Kelly wrote, Acknowledging your grief is often the healthiest way you can come out on the other side. Friends, let me say that again. Acknowledging your grief is often the healthiest way you can come out on the other side. Choosing not to deal with grief can have a long-term lasting negative impact on your life. This is Bishop Michael Bellamy. I hope you enjoy our podcast and subscribe to our Facebook page. You will find our weekly 30-minute podcast on many of your favorite platforms. Would you please tell your family and friends to listen in as well? We would love to hear from you. Feel free to connect with us on Facebook and via email at theelevent2022 at gmail.com. Let's take a look at grief through a biblical lens. The Word of God is rich in how we can always find our humanity in its pages and see God's handiwork and how he shows us his true nature and awesomeness and his mercy and grace towards us. A prime biblical example of what grief looks like and how it affects someone is Job's story, as described in the book of Job. We all know that Job was a prosperous man who was faithful to God and upstanding in every way. In Job chapter 1, verse number 1, the scriptures goes on to describe Job as having seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Also, his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. He would pray over his children daily to ensure their sins were covered before God. Because of his righteous living, Satan asked God if he could try Job to see if he would renounce the Lord and turn away from him, to which God allowed, with the exception of Satan being able to kill Job. Over the span of chapter 1, we see how Job endured several catastrophic events, losing his livestock, his servants, his possessions, and ultimately his children. At the end of chapter 1, we see Job hold fast to his faith in God, declaring, Naked I came out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In the midst of Job's losses, he still found a way to worship God. 
But this was just the beginning of his sorrows. In chapter 2, we see where Satan went before God again. And the Lord allowed Job to suffer additional losses, including his health and the trust and faith of his own his own wife had in him. In verse 9, his wife laments, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. Job chided her by saying, You talk like one of the foolish women talks. Will we indeed accept the good from God, but not accept the adversity? Later in chapter 2, Job's three friends come to visit him and to mourn with him and to comfort him. While they did sit with Job, they found it awkward to address him in his state of grief. Verse 13 tells us, so they sat down with him on the ground seven days and seven nights. No one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his grief was very great. That's in chapter 2, verse number 13. Chapter 3 reveals the inner turmoil Job faced as he grieved his situation, showing how he opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. His heart was heavy with immense sadness and despair. And we can see how Job questioned his own worthiness of life because of his circumstances. Several verses across chapter 3 shows us just how deeply Job had fallen into a state of depression. In verse number 11, it reads, Why did I not die at birth? Why did I not expire when I came out of the womb? Verse 16, or why was I not hidden like a stillborn child, like infants who never saw light? Verses 24 through 26 for my sighing comes before I eat, and my groaning pours forth like the waters. For the thing which I greatly feared has happened to me, and that which I dreaded has come to me. I am not at peace. I have no quiet. I cannot rest, and turmoil has come. Chapter 4 shows us the doubt Job's friends had in his integrity and their rationale in thinking that Job's sin had caused his calamity. One would think that they were there to support Job, <laughs> but the scriptures reveal otherwise. In verses 2 through 7, Job's friend Eliphaz spoke to Job saying, If one attempts a word with you, Will you become angry? But who can withhold himself from speaking? Surely you have instructed many and you have strengthened weak hands. Your words have upheld him who was stumbling and you have strengthened the, the feeble knees. But now it comes upon you and you are weary. It touches you and you are troubled. Is not 
your reverence, your confidence, and the integrity of your ways, your hope. He went on to say, Now a word was secretly brought to me, and my ear received a whisper of it. Can a mortal man be more righteous than God? Can a man be more pure than his maker? Does not their own excellence go away? They die, even without wisdom. In chapter 5, Eliphaz continues to admonish and chastise Job, telling him, But as for me, I would seek God, and to God I would commit my cause. But happy is the man whom God corrects. Therefore, do not despise the chastening of the Almighty, for he bruises, but he binds up, he wounds, but his hands make whole. Across the span of chapter 6 through 12, we see Job's friends continue to chastise him throughout his period of grief, urging him to repent of his sins because his losses were surely of his own doing. We also see Job continue to sit in his feelings of despair and hopelessness. Eventually, Job responds to his friends to defend his grieving process and to show them that while he is mourning his losses, he is also still trusting in God's sovereignty. He told them in Job chapter 13, verse 15, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Even so, I will defend my own ways before him. Despite Job's declaration of faith, he still felt the heaviness of grief upon him and sought God for relief. You'll find that in chapter 17. His friends also felt it prudent to continue urging Job to repent of his sins. As we see in chapters 14 through 18. In chapter 21, we see Job reacts to his friend's words again. With him saying, look, I know your thoughts and the schemes with which you would wrong me. For you say, where is the house of the prince? And where is the tent, the dwelling place of the wicked? In chapters 23 through 31, show us the the folly between Job and his friends, with them accusing him of wrongdoing and folly, and Job defending his uprightness while also showing his frailty through his prayers to God. In chapters 32 through 37, Elihu, another of Job's friends, comes into the picture, but not to mock Job or to adjourn him, self to Job in his place of depression, but to rebuke Job's three friends for their mockery of Job and to help Job come to himself by seeing how far he had fallen into a rut with his grief and to realize the true nature 
sovereignty and wisdom of God in all that had happened to Job. In Job chapter 32, verses 10 through 12, Elihu checked Job's friends, saying, Therefore I say, listen to me. I will also declare my opinion. Indeed, I waited for your words. I listened to your reasons while you searched out what to say. Yes, I paid attention to you. And surely none of you convinced Job or answered his words. In chapter 34, verses 35 through 37, Elihu showed Job his true folly in his grief, saying, Job has spoken without knowledge, and his words were without wisdom. My desire is that Job may be tried unto the end, because he answers like wicked men, for he adds rebellion Unto his sin, he clasps his hands among us and multiplies his words against God. In chapter 35, verses 13 through 16, Elihu expounded, Surely God will not hear vanity, nor will the Almighty regard it, although you say you do not see him, Yet judgment is before him, and you must trust him. But now, because he has not punished in his anger, nor taken much notice of folly, therefore Job opens his mouth in vain. He multiplies words without knowledge. In chapter 37, verse 14, Elihu addressed Job by saying, Listen to this, Job. Stand still and consider the wondrous works of God. Then went on to exclaim the wonder and majesty of God. After Elihu's address, Job heard from the Lord directly in chapters 38 through 41 and reminded Job of his humanity and of the might of the God he served. In chapter 42, we see Job start to come back to himself through his repented heart saying in verses 2 and 3, I know that you can do everything and that no thought can be withheld from you. Who is he who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. At the end of chapter 42, we see where God eventually restored what Job had lost. The book of Job offers us a rich, detailed view of what grief looks like for the person experiencing it, how it affects those around that person, and what we should and shouldn't do during the grief 
process. Well, friends, that's all the time we have for this episode. I hope you have enjoyed today's episode, which was produced by Lady Satoya Clanton. Be safe. Stay healthy. God bless.